This is Global Mining News, available worldwide on the internet. Welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and I hope you are having a wonderful week. There is a ton going on. As usual, we have more conferences. We have huge drama in these markets, and... I mean, here Bitcoin freaks out to the upside. I mean, we've been kind of calling this the whole way. It'll be interesting to see what happens. We've also been calling gold to catch up a little bit, and it hasn't really done that yet, but I'm still kind of hoping for that. Non-investment advice, just a thought. But that being said, I was looking at the gold miners, and they're looking pretty cheap right now. Let me just dig them up, and then we're going to get to all these conferences that are going on. It continues. It's a lot of fun in the mining industry right now, and a lot of socializing, all things considered. Now, let's just take a look here at stock prices. I mean, uranium stocks, if you haven't been paying attention, are really doing impressive. Cameco, $18.78, up 5% yesterday. Yeah, uranium stocks are really strong. Uranium energy, up 10%. Next Gen, up 5%. Jeez, that's up 4.95 at Next Gen. Let's continue on here. BHP is at $69.95. Freeport at $32.12. You know, like last March, that was seven bucks. Tech, $19.42. But look at this. Barrick, $22.46. I mean, I think, you know, Buffett got in at like 24, or he announced at 24, and remember it went up. So gold stocks, look at that. I mean, gold stocks. It's actually lower than when Buffett made his announcement. So that is the opportunity. Not investment advice. Franco Nevada, let's see how that's doing. I mean, same kind of chart, you know, uh, Newmont, the bellwether, and same kind of chart, not quite as bad. Let's also look at dividends here. I mean, 2.65% on Newmont, pretty respectable in a zero interest rate environment, plus you're in gold. So that's pretty smart. Barrick. 1.6% dividend. That's okay. Especially, it's only okay. When you consider how low their stock price is, that's only okay. Now, there's also B2 Gold is another that is kind of well known for having kind of a generous dividend. Let's just pull up the chart here. And then we're going to get to business. But first, let's see what's going on in the markets here. So B2 Gold in the Toronto market is at $6.52. I think those others were the American market, but nevertheless, everything's kind of depressed in the gold market. Same kind of chart in B2 gold, but I will point this out, 3.17% dividend. So that's interesting. So you really see an effort by some of these gold companies to keep that dividend high, particularly Newmont and B2 gold, and I'm sure there are others. So opportunity knocks over there. So Lots going on as well, again, in the conference area. Uh, we have this Invest Yukon event, which is kind of like, I mean, PDAC is right around the corner. Another global mining symposium. Let me just start with this pre-PDAC Invest Yukon event. If you go to our Twitter, you'll see it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pin this tweet so it gets maximum exposure. And I think that'll make, hopefully make our publisher happy, who is going to be moderating. Here it is. Don't miss the Invest Yukon pre-PDAC thought leader panel featuring Banyan Gold, Fairweed Zinc, and Rockhaven Resources with moderation by Northern Miner Group publisher Anthony Vaccaro. And I'm going to pin this tweet right now. And on that tweet, you can also register. 
There is a link to register. So cool little event, pre-PDAC thought leadership, ESG for exploration. And I think that's an interesting little subject, isn't it? I asked this to one of our consultants that we interviewed earlier in an earlier episode. Like, I think it was the guys at EY. And I was saying, like, what about these juniors? Like, what's their ESG? And they're like, no, no, like they're in communities. It's, you know, it's really, yeah, like they're... They're not off the hook. They, if anything, some of them are the first kind of people to encounter these communities as far as the first, you might say, responders from the mining communities. So a very important discussion. So that is happening. That is on February 18th at 10 a.m. PST or 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's February 18th. Again, you can check our Twitter feed and you can check the pin tweet, not the Twin Peak, but the pin tweet. All right. Okay. So also, ladies and gentlemen, we have a global mining symposium. And these are quarterly events as far as I understand. So here we go. And it looked like a pretty cool lineup. Let's just take a closer look. This is taking place on February 23rd and 24th. So lots happening in the run-up to PDAC. And PDAC is early this year. Let's just take a look at this. So headlining the global mining symposium is Paul Brink. President and CEO of Franco Nevada. We also have John McCluskey, President and CEO of Alamos Gold. And also we have Andrew Cheadle is returning. Elizabeth Friel from 4P Solutions. Catherine Gignac from Cameco. I always like hearing from Cameco. She's a corporate director on Cameco, Oceana Gold, and Women in Mining. And Margot Naudi, who is president of Elephant Capital. Louise Pierce who is from ERM, Environmental Resource Management. Now, I have just done, a couple of weeks ago, an event from CIM Sudbury, where we had someone from ERM. So they're getting around there too, impressively. And also, we have Hugh Roberts, CHR Metals, and Michael White, IBK Capital. They're a pillar in the community, in the Toronto investment community, particularly in mining sponsored many a PDAC, and several more. People from Dolly Varden, Commerce Resources, Blue Sky Uranium, Renforth Resources, Novo Resources, tons. Wallbridge, Amex Exploration, Metallic Minerals, Group 10, Brixton, Core Mining, O3 Mining, and Palladium One. Yeah, so that is exciting. That is coming up. So a couple of events to warm you up for PDAC, or maybe PDAC is the after party of the Global Mining Symposium. We report, you decide. And so coming up this episode, we have Randy Smallwood from his appearance at AME Remote Roundup. And thanks to the guys at AME BC and the AME Remote Roundup who put on the conference. I thought, you know, I kind of give the streamers a hard time. So why not give them some airplay here and just let them talk a little bit and see what they have to say. So we have Randy Smallwood's presentation on ESG and how streamers have a role to play in ESG and they're not just simply set it and forget it investors. They are still uh, very concerned. And it's an interesting thing, right? Because we have the investment community, which is definitely becoming more and more ESG centric, particularly as the millennials and even Gen Z start taking over. Yeah, we're seeing a much higher uh, priority placed on ESG, as we all know. Anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that for the last two years. So we're going to get a really cutting-edge commentary from one of the 
main streamers, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO and President Randy Smallwood. So an exciting show coming up. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at the Northern Miner. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we have Ross Beatty stepping down as chairman of Pan American Silver. And he has been involved with Pan American Silver as long as I have been associated with this industry, or as long as I've been paying attention. This is written by Northern Miner staff. Pan American Silver founder Ross Beatty will step down in May as the company's chairman and his appointed board member Gillian Winkler to replace him. Trained as a geologist, Beatty launched Pan American in 1984 and has served as its chairman since then. He was also CEO from the company's inception until 2004. And we have a quote from Mr. Beatty. Quote, I am so proud and grateful to have worked with our wonderful and dedicated team in building this great company. I would also like to thank our shareholders who have supported my vision of creating a world-class silver mining company. And continuing on, and Pan American is now the second largest primary silver producer in the world. That's pretty impressive. With the world's largest silver resources and reserves, the company says it also produces a significant amount of gold. Beattie noted in the announcement that the company, quote, has never been in a better financial and operating condition with many prospects for growth, end quote, and said he has, quote, full confidence in the company's leadership team and its employees, end quote. And we have a little bit on his replacement who is, again, Gillian Winkler. Winkler, who will succeed Beattie as chair on May 12th, has been on the company's board of directors since 2016 and also chairs the Human Resources and the Compensation Committee and is a member of the Audit Committee and the Nominating and Governance Committee. Sounds like someone who really knows how the machinery of this company works. She has also worked in the mining sector for the last 25 years, 16 of which were with BHP in London and in Vancouver. At BHP, she was involved with everything from corporate strategy and M&A to divestments, exploration, and project evaluation and development. And we have another quote from Mr. Beattie. Managed succession is part of good governance. And I'm very pleased Gill has agreed to take on the role of chair. She is highly experienced mining professional with a strong background in environmental, social, and governance matters. End quote. And as we mentioned last show, I mean, Ross Beattie has been a trailblazer. I was just looking at images of him because we're looking for images for the paper. And uh, yeah, it was three years ago that we had him at the Canadian Mining Symposium in London and where he was really, I thought, you know, it was almost against the grain how environmental he was being. But really, in retrospect, he was ahead of the curve. Finally, he was inducted in the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame in 2018 and received the Order of Canada in 2017, and was Northern Miner Person of the Year in 2011. So, we wish Ross Beattie well. I'm sure he'll be up to other interesting things. Norlisk Nickel fined nearly $2 billion for massive fuel spill in the Arctic, and this is by Cecilia Jamasmi of Mining.com. This is a pretty interesting story because it turns out it was a Russian court that fined Norlisk Nickel that huge amount of money. Norlisk Nickel, the world's largest producer of palladium and nickel, 
will have to pay a record fine of 146 billion rubles, which is equivalent to $1.94 billion, almost $2 billion, in compensation for a huge fuel spill in the Arctic last May, a Russian court ruled. The amount, while in line with a demand by the nation's environmental watchdog, more than doubles what Russia is seeking to get in mineral extraction tax from mining companies this year. And the name of the environmental watchdog is Rospryrodnadzor. And, quote, we won, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, Rospryrodnadzor. Probably totally butchering that, but that is one of the hardest words I've read in a long time. Had Svetlana Rodionova, who was in the courtroom, said in an Instagram post, Quote, ecology is everyone's business, exclamation mark. Pretty interesting way to deliver the message, isn't it? Sign of the times. Nor Nickel had rejected the watchdog's damage estimate, which according to the company assumes it did nothing to mitigate the impact of the spill. The objection was based on an extensive cleanup the miner carried out in the seven months following the accident. The miners' attempt to reduce the original 148 billion rubles fine were based on technicalities and the way the original sum had been calculated, rather than denying culpability. It claimed the damages amounted to just $280 million or 21 billion rubles. And finally, just a little bit of info on the spill. The spill occurred on May 29th, 2020, when an aging reservoir at one of the company's facilities collapsed and leaked 21,000 tons of diesel in the surrounding area most of which seeped into the soil and nearby rivers for several days before local authorities responded to the accident. Local environmental groups said the miner initially attempted to cover up the fuel leak, but the extent of it was quickly visible via satellite images, prompting neighboring water streams to change colors. And, you know, you think this would have gotten more press. Listen to this. Both environmentalists and authorities called the spill the worst ecological disaster to ever occur in the Arctic. Wow, this really, like, I don't feel like this really got the press it merited, if that's the case. Nor Nickel first blamed melting permafrost for the collapse of the fuel tank, but an investigation by the regulator found faults in its construction and maintenance. And last year, we just have a quote from Russia's ecology minister, Dmitry Kobielkin, and he told RBK last year, quote, the scale of the damage to Arctic waterways is unprecedented. The fine will be proportional to it. Well, so big fine to Norlisk Nickel for a huge Arctic spill, which kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Moving on, Mongolia asks Rio Tinto to cancel their Oyu Tolgoi deal. That sounds like a pretty big deal. Also by Cecilia Jamazmi, mining.com. Let's take a closer look, our weekly Rio Tinto update. And, uh,. Let's just see. Mongolia government is said to be actively seeking to cancel a deal with Rio Tinto governing a $6.75 billion expansion of the Oyu Tolgoi copper mine in the Gobi Desert as it looks to replace it with a new agreement. So it sounds like they want to remake the deal. Rather than acting unilaterally, which would risk future foreign investment projects, local authorities have suggested Rio Tinto mutually terminate the plan. The end goal, Financial Times reported, is to reach a new agreement more beneficial to Mongolia. You know, I don't know if I've ever heard this before. Usually governments will just sort of say, okay, the deal's off. But they've kind of gone public with this idea that they want to renegotiate the plan, but work with them. They don't want to scare off foreign investment. Pretty interesting. Ulan Batar threatened in early January to halt construction at the mine 
Not sure who Ulan Batar is. To halt construction at the mine, arguing that delays and higher than expected costs had eroded the economic benefits the country had hoped for. Rio Tinto had in 2019 flagged stability risks associated with the original project design, which translated into as much as an additional $1.9 billion cost and a 30-month delay. The miner confirmed in December the new estimate for the long-awaited underground expansion, adding that production would begin in October 2022. Erdnes Oyus Tolgoy LLC the Mongolian state-owned company that owns a third of the mine reacted to the new timeline and budget by saying that Rio had not delivered on its 2015 promises. Erdne's interest in Oyutolgoy is technically held through a 34% in a Mongolian company called Oyutolgoy LLC. The remaining stake belongs to Turquoise Hill Resources, which is 50% owned by Rio Tinto. Yeah, pretty complicated little structure here. All to say, this project has been... Rio Tinto is saying it needs delayed... And it sounds like this delay is costing people money. My take, this is just Pokebelly's take at the Northern Miner podcast, is the Mongolian government is saying, okay, you can screw up, but now you need to renegotiate this deal. Yeah, sure. Like It's not like you just get to say, okay, we screwed up and now it's going to cost us much more and all your loans, you have to pay longer and there's no consequences. Sounds like Mongolia is sort of saying, okay, fine, let's renegotiate. Here's your chance to do it together with us. So the drama continues. This new CEO sure has a lot on his plate. You know, I'm going to be looking at these conference calls in the next few weeks. I'd be very curious to hear what the new CEO of Rio Tinto sounds like and just what he has to say. I mean, that guy has a lot on his plate. So maybe we'll be Posting that at some time soon, see how they're doing, see how the new direction of the company is going. Moving on, investors, regulators looking at board diversity beyond gender. And this is by Kelsey Rolf, who is a frequent contributor to the Northern Miner, she's freelance. And uh, let's see what she has here. Canadian public companies will have a year to get in line with new tougher board gender diversity guidelines from leading proxy advisory firms or face a withhold vote against the chair of their nominating committee. Let's take a closer look. As of February 1st, 2022, that's a year from now, institutional shareholders services will expect SMP TSX composite issuers to have at least 30% women board members, or a written gender diversity policy with a commitment to achieve that percentage over a, quote, reasonable, end quote, time frame. It will also withhold a vote for the nominating committee chair for widely held companies that aren't on the index if the company doesn't have any women on the board and has no formal written gender diversity policy. Glass-Lewis, meanwhile, will require all TSX-listed issuers to have at least two female directors as of January 1st, 2022. Boards with six or fewer members can continue to meet the firm's existing voting policy of a minimum of one female director. So they're getting pretty serious about this. During the 2021 proxy season, both ISS and Glass-Lewis will note issuers that don't meet their requirements. And we have a quote from Rima Ramchandani, partner at Tories LLP. And she said in an interview with the Northern Miner, quote, impacted companies have this year to get prepared or revisit their board composition and policies in anticipation of the new guidelines that will kick in the following year. So uh, TSX companies are being put on notice. According to Ram Chandani, the changes demonstrate investors' growing focus on public companies' board diversity and a recognition that seven years after the Ontario Securities Commission implemented a, a, quote, comply or explain rule, 
requiring companies to disclose information related to gender diversity on their boards or explain why they had none, issuers aren't as far along as they should be. And a quick look at the numbers. According to Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, 2020 Diversity Disclosure Practices Report, women hold 31.5% of all board seats at SMP TSX 60 companies, up from 22% in July 2015. So it's only a 9.5% rise in the last six years. And 28.3% of board seats at TSX Composite Companies. On the broader TSX, that number is lower at just 21.5%. So we're starting to get impatient. Ramchand Danny said, quote, even in the TSX Composite Index, there's still a big percentage of those issuers that haven't gone as far as I think the institutional investor community would like. So the mining industry specifically reported the second worst board diversity ahead only of energy service companies with an average of 13% female representation on boards and an average of 0.9 women directors, the Osler report founded. And finally, we have Carly Klinkoff, an associate at Tories in the firm Mining and Metals Group, and she said, quote, there is a disparity that exists currently in terms of issuers in the mining space versus the TSX more broadly. I think it will be interesting to see over the next year whether there's some movement there because I think mining issuers have a longer way to go. So fascinating report from Kelsey Rolf, as usual. I encourage you to read the whole thing. There's a lot more in here. If you're on a board and Canadian company, you probably want to read this. Investors, regulators looking at board diversity beyond gender. And finally, we have a story retail investors beware. Manipulation is happening all around you and commodities can offset your risk. This is by Russell Starr. And so this whole market manipulation topic is once again at the center. In the wake of the GameStop Reddit saga, North American market manipulation is once again the topic du jour that the rules of the game vary by player, institutional versus retail investor, hedge fund versus little guy, is clear, highlighted by the fact that once again, big finance is won, deemed too important to fail, the latest bailout on Wall Street, this time, ironically, thanks to brokerage firm Robinhood Markets, which continues to hold itself out as an ally to day traders, was unapologetically at the expense of the same lowly traders. And then he goes into the whole debate on the metals and whether they're manipulated, and this has been a long debate. And I mean, remember GATA and then, of course, Jeffrey Christian takes the opposite side and basically says things are more or less in order. I heard an interview with Jeffrey Curry, another one. And yeah, it sounds pretty complicated because a lot of these short positions are balanced by long positions. And so it's not quite as simple as looking at everything and just saying, oh, they have so-called naked shorts, and that's it. Nevertheless, this is the kind of idea that really spreads like crazy. And again, it's not crazy. I mean, we have incentive here. It's like that whole who benefits, right? If the gold price and the silver price are in fact manipulated lower, one would think, I mean, this is the logic. I mean, you can make whatever decision or opinion you want about it. The underlying argument, the logic of it is, the U.S. government is suppressing gold prices in order to protect the U.S. dollar because if gold gets out of control, that's an indictment on the U.S. dollar. So that is the underlying issue. This is the underlying argument. And what's interesting, I think Wall Street could show all the evidence in the world. And I don't know why they don't like 
why don't they publish papers showing exactly how this is not happening? If they have the numbers. So if Jeffrey Curry is right, if Jeffrey Christian is right, like let's just put out like a two to three page paper, maybe five, five to 10 page report. And let's just like spell it out on February 1st, you know, put it on the day of the Reddit thing and let's look at all the numbers and then maybe we can all figure this out. But right now it's a little opaque unless you're like an expert in this space. And so anyways, Russell Starr goes into this whole argument and ultimately he says buy commodities because there's a lot of manipulation going on here and ultimately you want to own gold. And so Russell Starr is president and CEO of Trillium Gold. You can read the whole thing on northernminer.com. Retail investors beware. So those are your news stories. Now let's turn to metal prices. Turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at Mining.com, who provide us with these prices each and every week. If you ever want to find them for yourself, just go to Mining.com slash markets. And on February 9th, gold is trading at $1,843.44 per ounce. That's $4 higher than last week's quote. Silver is trading $0.05 cents lower at $27.61 per ounce. Platinum trades higher at $1,183.80 per ounce. That is $80 higher than last week. Palladium is trading at $2,320.50 per ounce. That is $75 higher than last week. And copper is trading up $0.03 cents at $3.60 per pound. Aluminum also a penny higher at $0.91 cents per pound. Lead also a penny higher at $0.92 cents per pound. Nickel trades $0.10 cents higher at $8.14 per pound. And tin also trades higher at $10.88 per pound. That is $0.15 cents higher than last week's quote. And cobalt also higher at $20.50 per pound. That is a dollar. 74 higher than last week's quote. And finally, zinc is trading at $1.20 per pound. That is four cents higher than last week. And taking a broad perspective, gold and silver stay steady. Platinum seems to be maybe in a bit of a stealth bull market. Palladium bounces near its highs. And most of the industrial metals bounce near their highs. But tin is at an all-time high in the last 18 months since we started recording these quotes at 1088. And also cobalt showing unusual strength at $20.50 per pound. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Randy Smallwood, who is president and CEO of Wheaton Precious Metals. And he is one of the founders of Wheaton Precious Metals. And he's also the chair of the World Gold Council and chairman of the board for Special Olympics BC, and a member of the boards of Minerals Ed BC and Mining for Life, and previously on the board of the BC Cancer Foundation. So Randy Smallwood goes into streamers, wheat and precious metals, and their relationship with ESG and their take on it. So it's a very interesting discussion. Thank you once again to AME Roundup for providing us with this audio, and we'll see you on the other side. Here on this panel today to talk about um, 
probably the you know the unique aspect of 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 our investment decisions and how that all comes into uh, into play. Uh, a streaming company, for for everyone's information, um, you know, purchases the rights to metal from mining operations around the world, from third party operators around the world. And so the uh, you know in a sense we're a, we're a passive investor in the sense that we we now own a part of the production from these assets but we don't actually operate these assets. So some of what uh, Bonita talked about earlier on from the investor's perspective definitely uh, rings true for some of our own decision making process. But our uh, our biggest hurdle is of course the fact that um, when we make an investment into an asset, uh, it's a life of mine agreement which means that we're there for the long term. It's not like uh, like investors where if you're not happy with practices, you can uh, sell and move on. And so we really uh, put a lot of focus on sustainability and on uh, on ESG and, and, and make sure that not only we invest into the right groups, but also that we, uh, we focus on providing as much support as we can uh, along that front. So uh, somewhere here in this presentation, I'm going to make a few forward-looking statements, and uh, the lawyers keep on telling me I have to put this in front of every presentation, so uh, I urge you to understand the risks of those forward-looking statements. They're buried in there somewhere. So sustainability, our foundation. Um, our business is based on long-term investments, and so it's, a, it's an incredibly important aspect of, of how we have always operated our business. It's a, another comment that, that uh, Benina made that resonated. Uh, I think the mining industry actually has done a very good job on this in a general sense, but uh, our disclosure has not been up to par. And, uh, and I do definitely see continued improvements in that space. Uh, even within our own company, uh, we, have, we have really stepped up on that front. So, but as I mentioned, sustainability, um, you know, it, and, and to, to steal some of JJ's comments, you know, to benefit all stakeholders. Our company is obviously through the streaming business model uh, trying to become, you know, we think we've presented the, the premier precious metals investment vehicle, but we only can succeed through that if we deliver value through our streaming business model to all of our stakeholders and all should be underlined and in bold, all. It's not just our shareholders. Of course, that's who I work directly for. But um, for us to be successful, we also have to make sure that we deliver value back to our partners. And that can come obviously in the upfront payment that we make when we enter into a streaming agreement and helping them on a, from a financial capacity basis on a, on a go forward. But it also comes from providing additional support beyond that. We're a company that does see a lot of operations and gains a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge around the world. We do our best to try and share that wisdom. Uh, it's one of the biggest strengths that we can deliver post upfront payment to help our partners be that much stronger and help them maintain stronger social license, which is again another phrase out of Benita's presentation that resonates with me. This all adds up to maintaining strong social license, social license amongst your neighbors, amongst your partners, amongst your community, amongst, 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 the, amongst the planet. And it really is uh, incredibly important for us to make sure that we can do our best as a silent shareholder or as a, a, a consumer of the product from these mines to actually contribute back to these mines and, uh, and these operators and help them in their efforts to make sure that we leave good, strong, sustainable benefits all the way across the board. Um, sustainability is a core value and it's really represented in our company through a lot of different uh, aspects. 
obviously the due diligence at the at the acquisition stage, but also monitoring continuing operations. We have a policy in our company of of, of always visiting uh, you know all of the assets and and trying to to stay on top of what's happening there, mainly to to gain knowledge, but also to share knowledge in terms of our own experience and what we've seen happening. And when we have our due diligence teams out there, we have dedicated people that are focused on the social the the, the social sciences and the environmental side to to make sure that that uh, you know that that everything does check the box community investment programs we in the streaming space are we're forefront in terms of recognizing that as an investor and as JJ talked about from Microsoft having to push some support upstream to those producers and to those mining companies um, you know uh, community investment programs where we actually do provide additional support and expand the capacity of the actual mining companies to deliver continued value to uh, and, and sustainable uh, benefits to the uh, to the neighbors of these operations and to those other stakeholders of course all of this uh, really has to come from strong governance everything is wrapped around having strong governance in place and uh, and we've really stepped that up here at Wheaton also but it is an incredibly important aspect of it and then external and voluntary commitments uh, both on the corporate side and on the personal side it, at Wheaton we've long had a a tradition of, of strongly encouraging all of our staff and all of our senior management to be involved in outside nonprofit, uh, just to add to the world beyond our own efforts within the within the corporation itself. And the company, uh, a good strong commitment on that front, commitments to uh, the UN Global Compact, a sig founding signatory to the responsible gold mining principles at the uh, World Gold Council. Um, you know, all sorts of, uh, this, this has all resonated right through the company and it's incredibly important. And you can see how our due diligence is, is focused, uh, you know, really many multiple aspects, all of that adds up into uh, making an assessment in terms of how the operations are actually, are actually doing. And more importantly, you know, not being scared of, of seeing if there's ways to make improvements, to suggest improvements, uh, to, to find, uh, to share our own collective wisdom in terms of helping the industry as a whole do a better job. Very, very important for us. You know, environmental, governance and social, all very, very important. Um, you know, we, we, we focus on third party operators that perform to that standard. Uh, you know, we're not scared of, of, of also being a change agent in terms of coming in and, and, and providing support. Uh, you know, one of the things with the mining industry, with the resource industries, we do get into a lot of rural um, challenging locations around the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and because of that, um, we, we do have a lot of experience that we can share with those operators to help, um, you know, make sure that we do leave good, strong benefits. That due diligence process, of course, is important in terms of finding out, you know, which operators have managed their risks, but also, you know, uh, it just, it helps us sort of minimize our own risks to our shareholders and, uh, and to the rest of our stakeholders. We have 10 principles um, that, we, that we really put a focus on. Obviously, I've already talked about the due diligence aspects, which is item number one. But, uh, you know, really, there's a few other ones here I do really want to highlight. Number four uh, is maintaining regular and ongoing dialogue. I, I've always said the streaming business model is, is very well suited for that because it is a contractual partnership. But the key word is partnership with an operator where we actually can have that direct input and, and feedback to uh, to how the operations are going. Number six and seven, of course, are also very important to us and something that that I do think, uh, you know, to expand upon what JJ from, uh, from Microsoft was saying, uh, to expand on that, you know, there is 
uh, a, an opportunity for us to have an influence upstream. And uh, and Wheaton started this a long time ago, and we've got a good strong program along that space, uh, along that phase. Um, you know, uh, support industry associations. I'm also the chairman of the World Gold Council and, and quite proud of our responsible gold mining principles, uh, which we brought into effect in 2019. And every member has uh, has now committed towards uh, moving, uh, satisfying those uh, those those initiatives, those uh, those principles. And happy to see Equinox uh, recently joining. Thank you, Ross. Uh, good to have uh, have uh, your group on board. Uh, and then number 10 is a particular one to me. Um, you know, it's, it's, we shouldn't run and hide. Uh, you know, one of the other things that resonated with JJ's presentation was the fact that, you know, if, if the damage has been done, you know, that's too late. Um, let's not be scared of being change agents. If we see something that, that we know is wrong or that can be done better, let's really focus on best possible practices move forward. Not, don't be scared of coming in with suggestions. And, and some of that might mean a bit of financial support in terms of moving it forward. Uh, you know, I still remember investing into improved safety practices in South Africa because we invested into a mine in Montana. Um, you know, that's a that's a that's a that, you know that's taking a truly more global approach um, that that I think the industry as a whole needs to take uh, needs to needs to keep that perspective. Don't be scared of being change agents in terms of improving. Uh, the overall performance of our industry. There's, uh, there's, there's four pillars within our own community reinvestment program or investment program here, health, education, environment, and community. Uh, we dedicate a one and a half percent of our, uh, our, our cash flows back. We average it over the previous four years, but back to uh, community support, community programs to try and not only strengthen uh, uh, the communities where we and our employees live, but also the, the communities and, and the other stakeholders around the operations itself. From uh, locally supporting groups like BC Cancer, uh, we, you know, we're the flagship sponsor of the Ride to Conquer Cancer, um, to also Nature's Trust, which I know is very near and dear to Ross Beattie, uh, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're now uh, stepping up into uh, providing support there. But more importantly, because of some of the challenging jurisdictions that the operations are, is our partner CSR program, where we actually provide support to programs in and around the mine sites that deliver us metal. Even though we don't own these things, we, we have an interest in these assets, and therefore it's important to us to help strengthen that social license on the operator's side. And some of those programs, as you can see, uh, I mean, definitely we were the first streaming oil company to focus on providing that support back. Even though we're not the operators, we recognize that it's the right thing to do. And some of those initiatives with Valet, Glencore, First Majestic, all sorts of, uh, of success in terms of improving education programs, health facilities, recreational facilities, just strengthening the benefits that the community uh, gets overall, strengthening the social license that our partners receive from being uh, successful in terms of working forward with that. Very, very important to us. And in fact, uh, oops, sorry, one too many, um, you know, one of the other benefits of our company is, is, is the benefit to, or, or the capacity of being agile and responding to things like this pandemic, where we last year kicked off an additional $5 million CSR fund to provide support to front lines in a lot of communities around the world that are still dealing uh, and still dealing with the impacts of this pandemic and providing support like ambulances and, and, and personal protective equipment and, uh, uh, you know, supporting programs to start uh, doing face masks. This is, this is all that is required from this industry, and, and, and we just have to continue focusing on, on doing what we can on that front. Of course, uh, external and voluntary commitments, uh, you know, uh, committed to be carbon, carbon neutral, 
a founding signatory of the World Gold Council and uh, and the first streaming company to commit to the uh, UN Global Compact. All something that's uh, you know clearly highlighted in our 2019, our first ever uh, 2019 Sustainability Report, which was released last year. And uh, highly encourage everyone to have a look at that. It uh, really highlights and goes into a lot more detail on these fronts. So what have we been able to build and, and how has that helped us be successful on the sustainability front? Well, it really does come down to the portfolio of assets that we've invested into. We have, we, you know, we do have a, a, a track record of focusing on lower political risk jurisdictions, mainly because these are long-term investments on a, on a go-forward basis. But, but these are you know, jurisdictions and locales that do have needs for a continued investment to try and improve the standard of life in these jurisdictions. And you can't do that unless you invest into high margin assets. And so we've got 31 different assets, 23 of which are delivering us metal right now. The bulk of that production does come from high margin assets with a long, long operating history, or, or sorry, uh, operating reserve base and, uh, and, uh, and resources in front of it, over 60 years of combined reserves and resources. Um, it's, it's, this is you know, one of the requirements of being successful is having the capacity to be successful. We always have to provide that balance. For us at Wheaton, uh, this is one of the reasons why we do focus on high margin operations is we know that the capacity to be able to deliver sustainable benefits is not going to be an issue. Um, you know, what have we done at Wheaton over the, uh, over the last, uh, um, you know, since we created the company back in 2004, where well, we've invested $9 billion into the mining industry around the world. Uh, we have had the benefit of bringing back $7.2 billion uh, in cash flow to date. Um, uh, $1.2 billion in dividends and, and good, strong cash flow, strong reserve and resource life. But, you know, the last one is what I really want to highlight. Very high ratings, recognizing the efforts that we've made uh, in the mining industry as a whole and definitely our, our focus on sustainability. And I think that's sort of highlighted here. I think this is my last slide. Um, definitely, uh, you know, top ratings amongst MSCI and Sustainalytics uh, and, uh, and a few other program, uh, you know, programs. I, you know, I should highlight, we just went through a London Stock Exchange listing and, and again, to expand on Benita's comment about Europe and how it differs, uh, the one slide. I have to say that the, um, um, the scrutiny that, uh, that we went through in terms of meeting with funds, UK-based funds that can only invest on LSE-listed companies was a level higher than what we've ever experienced here in North America in the past, and it's coming. Uh, and so uh, to, to just reinforce, this is, uh, this is all a requirement in terms of being successful in this industry. I think that's probably it for me. Thank you. There you have it, ESG also front and center for the streamers. So good to hear their perspective. Randy Smallwood, he's been around for a while. Another one of these elder statesmen in the mining industry. Sounds like a good business to be in as silver keeps climbing higher. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. And if you'd like to send it to your friends, that is also always appreciated. Thank you once again for joining us on the program. And until next week, take care.